Abundance of love, abundance of grace. Now to that cross, you took my place. Oh God, you paid my ransom. My ransom. Abundant Life Christian Fellowship Church. Loving God, loving people. Now, here's Pastor Scott. We who truly are saved do not want to continue to fail God. And, and I've done some things in 2019. I've taken some action. Uh, we, we've done some things as a church, but we have not nearly taken enough action. Can you say amen? When I talk about we, remember this, that this church is made up of the individuals inside this church. It's not the church isn't the, isn't the building. It's the people that gather together inside the building. And I believe the only way for us as a church to take massive action is if we as individuals take massive action. So today is your reset button. Say reset. I wish, well, sometimes I do, sometimes I don't. Uh, I hear people say, oh, man, if I could just go back to my 20s. Well, why do you want to live that long? Why do you want to go back to all that? So the smart people are like, no, no, I'm glad right where I am at. Uh, but sometimes we wish that life had a reset button. In, in the emergence of video games in the late 70s, 80s, and just the craziness that it is, now, they show video game competitions on ESPN. That's a hoot. Uh, <laughs> kids doing this. Uh, but uh, in the emergence of all that, preachers and parents had, and life coaches have been trying to tell people for the last few decades that life's not like a video game because it doesn't have a reset button. And there's some truth to that. Because you don't just get to, you know, die in the video game because you drove your car off a cliff and then just start right back over. Life doesn't work that way. But there is the ability, as long as you're alive, as long as you're breathing, to press reset and get a fresh start. Is anybody willing to do that this morning? Ah, uh, that's five people. I hope. See, if you don't think that you need to reset 2019, then uh, keep sleeping. If you don't think that you need to put more gas on the fire in 2019, then keep being cold. But I believe that God wants us to grow closer to him, to honor him more, and to make a deeper impact in our world today. So today we're going to go back to basics. I've told you for years, part of the job of the senior pastor of any church is to equip the people in the church Give them the tools to serve God, to know God better, to grow in God. And today, as we look at this passage of Scripture, I want you to know the handful of verses we're going to look at today, basic as they are, is some of the greatest instruction in all of God's Word. And I want you to listen today to see how you can get more fired up. How crazy would it be if everybody got fired up? How excited would it be if we could see people talk about revival? The church should not need revival. The, ch the only thing that you can revive is something that's dead. The church should not need revival because we shouldn't be dead. 
uh, in the truest sense of the word. Now, we need revival because we need refreshing. We, we, we need to be re, re-empowered. We need to be refocused. We need to get back to God and the things of God. We need to put God first so that God can reign over our lives. And I want you to see in the word of the Lord today what God would say in Galatians chapter 6. I read verse 10 to open. We're going to back up to verse 7 where the scripture says, Don't be misled. You cannot mock the justice of God. You will always harvest what you plant. Now, I want you to look at this. And as we do in Bible study, we're always going to take scripture, uh, a phrase at a time, a bite-sized piece at a time so we can digest it. We don't want to gloss over it. We, We want to see what it says. We want to pay attention to the punctuation, and we want to pull something out of Scripture that God is saying to us. Look at the first phrase in verse 7. Don't be misled. Now, the apostle starts chapter 6 by saying the word brethren. Starts chapter 6 by proving that he's still, as he has been through the whole book, talking to Christians. So this is a word for Christians today. If you're here and you're not saved, uh, the word of the Lord for you is get saved. Because life's short and heaven is real and hell is real. But this word today is for Christians. Why? Same answer, same type of question. Going to be the same answer you've given before. See if you can get it right this time. Why would God tell his saved, sanctified, fire-baptized, Holy Ghost, God-loving, Jesus-glorifying children in the first century and word to us still now today why would God tell his very own children don't be misled because we can be misled I want you to understand that at a very high level this morning I want you to understand that even you now you're all aghast you're all astonished and any other synonym of aghast, you're amazed, you're taken aback. We all can be misled. And that's why God tells us not to be misled. Now, in the context that he's talking about, he's talking about being misled by false teachers, misled by people who would tell you something that is in their estimation from God when really it is not. Man, if there was ever a time where there was misleading voices in the earth today representing a holy God, it's now. It is now. And and it probably is. I mean, it's always been people misrepresenting God, resting, the Bible says, twisting the Scripture for their own gain and for their perversion. There's always been people lying and, and giving out false information from the pulpit. But with the advent of TV, radio, Internet, social media, those voices just seem to be more prevalent because they're more accessible. I want you to know you need to be careful who you receive teaching from. This is is why the Bible says that you really should probably not put yourself in a position to teach because the things that you teach are held to a standard of judgment. Uh, it, it's just like in school. We expect our school teachers. Now, wouldn't it be nice if they actually knew something? I mean, some of them do. But, man, I, I've talked to some of these teachers in the Oak Leaf area uh, teaching English. They can't speak English. Why to get a drink on that. 
but we expect our teachers. See, when you go to a doctor's office, even if you've never been there, maybe you're a little leery uh, of, of the person, but you pretty much expect when you see the, the paperwork on the wall, the educational uh, documentation that they have, you expect that they know what they're talking about. And more times than not, even if they don't like the preacher, even if they have personal issues, people come in and they think that the person that's speaking to them in a church service knows somewhat of what they're talking about. But the sad reality is we got people going into ministry now just because they think it's an easy life. And pastor, it can be an easy life if you let it and you don't care about it. But it can be an exhausting life if you're called to it and you do care about it. But there, there's a lot of people that just went into this thing for titles and money and they don't have what they need to have to give away. One of the things I've told our staff consistently throughout the entire 18-year history of our church is that you have to minister out of the overflow. You cannot give away what you need. It, it's, it's the old British thing. Now, most of us, I, I would t test my kids this past week about cups and saucers because I know they've never seen a cup and saucer because I've got them in my china cabinet, but they don't go in that room because I was raised old school where houses had rooms that no one was allowed to go in. Anybody remember that room? Plastic on the couch. What you doing? Get out that room. Well, what we got furniture in there for? See, that rubbed off on me. Uh, and here's the bad thing. I can't even say I became my dad. I became my mom. Figure that out. Because I didn't have a dad. That's why that is. But they've never seen the saucer. But think about the purpose of a saucer. When Sudeti people drink tea in the afternoon, because that's when tea time is, they have a cup. They set it down on a little tiny plate with an indention in it. That's a saucer. The indention is not just to hold the cup because the table would hold the cup. The indention is because, you know, when old girl's dentures got loose and she didn't, didn't get her lips all the way on the back side of the cup and it drained down on the cup, they don't want that on the doily, a.k.a. tablecloth. So there's the saucer is there, or if somebody pours you some extra tea and, you know, they're, 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 in, they're detoxing and, <laughs> you know, they miss your cup a little bit. The, saw, the saucer catches the extra. Say extra. You need to minister out of the extra. You need to minister out of the overflow. If you ever find yourself in a position where you, and we all are. You, you don't have, people say, well, I, I hope one day I'll be able to be a minister. Everybody that's saved is called to be a minister. A minister represents God by helping meet needs. So as you go about your ministry on your job, in your neighborhood, in your community, with your family, you need to make sure that you're not giving them everything that you have spiritually. You should only give away what's in the saucer. Is anybody following me this morning? Because if you start giving away the cup, that what's in the cup, then you're going to run dry. You got to keep having it, the cup filled up and filled up and filled up until it's overflowing. And then you just give away what's in that saucer because it's extra. Say extra. So you, you got to get to this place where you are understanding that when someone is teaching you, they better be teaching you out of the overflow. Now, the problem with that is you got inexperienced, unqualified people doing teaching, 
attempting to preach when they don't have enough in the well to pour out. And that creates problems because that creates bad theology. The scripture says you have to have the ear of the learned before you can have the tongue of the learned. You got to listen to God a lot longer than you stand up to talk about him. I've told you for years, this is true, you can look it up, that the average message, the average sermon takes at least 30 hours to put together. That's what every seminary will tell you. Now, some preachers will, will try to take shortcuts. They'll try to say, oh, well, this, this didn't take me 30 hours to put together. I got my whole life into this. That probably means they didn't study a lot that week, so they're, you know, just pulling from the bottom. But if it takes 30 hours to study, and some of you have taught, some of you have preached, and you know if you ever have to stand up and teach for 30 minutes, in my case, an hour and a half, but if you ever have to do that, then you are going to have to study a whole lot more than what you say. You're going to have hundreds of pages of notes and thoughts and stuff that God showed you, and you're only going to be able to get out this much. Listen, let me say this to you. If you ever speak for God in any capacity, do not mislead people with thoughts, hopes, hype, theory, uh, illustrations that aren't rooted in God's Word. Preach the truth. Amen? People are being misled. People were being misled then. People are being misled today, and God is telling us, do not be misled. I want to tell you how it's easy to stay from getting misled. If you stay in the middle of the pack, you're not going to be out on the fringes and drifting too far away from the middle. If you stay with the stuff, you'll never get into crazyville. If you surround yourself with functional, stable, mature Christian people, you'll never get out into crazyville. If you study the Bible for yourself every day, when somebody tells you something whack, you'll know that's whack, and I'm not going to be misled by his foolishness. So we got to make sure that we are studying for ourselves so we can recognize error when we see it. I've told you before that when they train workers to spot counterfeit money at the Federal Reserve, they don't show them counterfeit money. They make them spend hundreds of hours touching, feeling, working with real money so when they get something that doesn't feel real to them, they know it's false. You need to be so familiar with God's Word. You need to be so familiar with because you're in it every day. Once you stop being in it every day, then you go from seven days a week studying God's Word to five to four to twice a month to you're back out there with the heathen. I told you what was written in the first, first Bible I was ever given when I surrendered to full-time ministry was this book will keep you from sin or sin will keep you from this book. If you stay in this book, it's hard to be misled, but God is commanding us today to not be misled. He goes on in verse 7 to say you cannot mock the justice of God. I want you to understand today God is serious about justice. God is serious about justice. Stop saying it. Stop thinking it. Stop believing it. We are not blessed to live in the New Testament era of Christianity just because of 
the fact that God is gracious in the New Testament. I've had so many people say, oh, I'm so glad I, I, got, I, I live in the New Testament, not in the Old Testament. Because God was about vengeance and justice in the Old Testament. He's about grace and mercy in the New Testament. If you read the Old Testament for yourself, you will see dozens of places where he talks about his mercy, his grace. He said that he's full of grace in the Old Testament. He said he's ready to pardon. He's slow to anger and quick to forgive. That's the God of the Old Testament and the God of the New Testament because he never changes. People think that the New Testament is just about grace. In their mind, they've, they've watered that down to mean greasy grace, sloppy agape, cheap love, one night stand on God, live like hell all week long, and then come to church on Sunday and call, and call that acceptable. Mm, I'm preaching better than y'all staring at the floor right now. But God has always been serious about justice. If God were not serious about justice, if God were to take justice off the table, he'd no longer be God. God demands justice. He's a God. Listen, he's not like, like some, some people in the room. Some of y'all are like, uh, uh, well, let's just, you know, pick. I'm trying to give a realistic number. Let's use a hypothetical number. Some of y'all are like 90% sweet and, and, and 5% crazy and uh, 3% tired and 2% don't care, okay? Um, and and, and that's, that's, your, that's your general, you know, composition. God doesn't have percentages like that. God's not 50% justice and 50% mercy. God's not 50% sin must be punished and and 50% grace can cover it. God is 100% of everything that he is. He's justice all the time. He's mercy all the time. He's goodness all the time. And he's vengeance all the time. This is how big our God is. So God is serious about justice and if you don't understand what how serious God is about justice understand this quickly he's so just and so demanding justice that he said sin must be punished and when he didn't feel like it's been punished enough in the right way he sent his son to be punished for it if God is willing to punish Jesus for our sins he's serious about justice all sin must be punished all sin must be paid for and you can either pay for it yourself or you can accept the payment that Jesus made on the cross of Calvary but either way sin must be paid for because God is serious about justice I think it's awesome I I just love the Bible I love the way it's laid out I, I love how specific a book it is but he went right from don't be misled And I told you this in the context of false teaching. He said, don't be misled. You cannot mock the justice of God. So one of the ways that people are sure enough misleading others with false teaching is to act like there is no justice, no wrath, no vengeance. To act like everything is just pie in the sky in the sweet by and by. If you read the Bible at all, you see a lot of encouragement and a lot of telling people, don't give up, hold on. Well, if it's all these TV preachers and these megachurch preachers that say it is, why would anybody be thinking about giving up? Why would anybody need encouragement to hold on? If it, listen, there are times 
when you are going to have to get on your knees and let God refresh you, and we need to let that start today. He said, don't be misled. You can't mock the justice of God. There are people out there teaching you could do uh, live shabby and get away with it. There are people out there teaching, you know, as long as you, and, and people do this now. And I, I know pastors, they don't care how the people in their church live as long as they show up and put money in the bucket. And they're going to stand before God and be judged for that. And their church is a sham. And what they're doing is polluted and perverted and watered down at best. Listen, there are no perfect preachers and there are no perfect churches, but there are people who are set for the defense of the gospel standing in pulpits. There are people that have given their life to the study of this book and are determined to equip their church members with the proper tools to get the job done. God's serious about justice. He said, you can't mock the justice of God. That in first, they're trying to mock justice. They're trying to tell people, oh, it's okay if you do that. Uh, God will still accept you. There's no, there's no part in the Bible where God accepted stuff like that. God is not so desperate for fellowship that he take dirty fellowship. God's not so desperate for love that he'll take dirty love. God is not so desperate for worship that he'll take polluted worship. But they were teaching bad things then, and, and it's always built on uh, either the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, or the pride of life. This false teacher, the, this false teaching, this misleading that God is talking about is either done to make the, the teacher richer, feel better, or look better. Because that's the three areas that are at play in that scenario. But he said, don't be misled. You can't mock the justice of God. And in the last phrase, he said, you will always harvest what you plant. You will always harvest what you plant. I want to tell you something. If you're wondering why, and I've told you this before, I'm going to tell you again. If you're wondering why your life is what it is right now, it's based on the decisions you made and the deeds that you did back then. You are the harvest of the seeds you planted. Your life is the harvest of the seeds you planted. Now, that, I told you, people don't, people don't want that. People don't want personal responsibility. People don't want to say, oh, if that's the reality, I better dig this whole field up, trash all the bad stuff, and plant some good seeds. So I can, See, that's what we really ought to do. We ought to wreck the field. We, we ought to break up our fallow ground. Fallow is ground that's been broken up before but got hard over time. We, we ought to go and just rip up all the weeds and all. Listen. If your life is so weeded over, stop trying to save them two pieces of grass. Just till the whole thing under and start fresh. I want to see better in me. I want to see better in my children. I want to see better in this church. I want to see better in our community. I want to see better in this nation that used to claim they were following God's principles. But for us to see better, for things to get better, we got to plant better. Look at somebody and say, plant better. Mm, this is just real truth. You got to accept it or reject it. You can walk away and say, well, I ain't into that kind of Christianity. I just want to show up on church, hear a nice little message, and, and feel encouraged and go on about my business. Your business at that point is planting for a disastrous harvest. God is watching. Your family needs you. 
Your community needs you. The kingdom of God needs the people of God to step up and be accountable. The next verse in Galatians 6, verse 8 says, Those who live only to satisfy their sinful nature will harvest decay and death from that sinful nature. But those who live to please the Spirit will harvest everlasting life from the Spirit. I need you to understand that we either live our lives to satisfy our sinful nature or to please the Spirit. Do you see that in here? It says those who live only to satisfy their own sinful nature. This is talking about Christians. It's talking about brethren. It's talking about people who are going to go to heaven. Do you know you can be on your way to heaven but living to please yourself? That does not honor the Father. I've always hoped, it's always been my prayer, that my children would make decisions not based solely on fear of repercussion from their father, but based on I love my dad and I don't want to disappoint him. I love my dad and I want to honor him. You ought to have that desire as a child of God to honor God with your lifestyle. But there are many people who claim the name of Jesus Christ and they are living to satisfy their own sinful nature. And all that's coming from that is bad and worse. You're re- Most people really don't need a therapist. They just need a reality check. Most people, and I'm talking about as far as spirituality, and there's some emotional things people definitely need therapy for, but I'm talking about as far as a spiritual counselor. Most people don't need to go to any preacher and say, I just don't know why life's going like this. Because a real preacher could just tell them, well, it's probably the seeds you planted. It's probably a harvest based on what you went through in the last season of your life. The Bible says you can either live to satisfy your sinful nature or you can live, look at what the bottom says, to please the Spirit. And if you live to please the Spirit, it's the Holy Ghost, this is God, this is Jesus, all are one, you will harvest everlasting life. Now, we've looked at life before. The name of our church is Abundant Life. And and Jesus said in John 10.10, that he came so we could have life and we could have life more abundantly. And he's talking about multiple concepts of living. There's, there's an everlasting life. There's eternal life in the next life. But there's also a quality of life that God has for his children on this earth. God said you, you shall receive these things in this life and eternity in the life to come. What I see in my own life many times, in the lives of people in this church many times, is living below what God's best blessing for us would be. Why in the world would we... See, here's what happens. Even to those of us who want to live to please God, to, to, to honor Him with our lives, we get lulled to sleep. We, 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 we get in a comfort zone. We get in a rut. We, we get in a, in a, in a place uh, that, that's not on fire. I, I love what one evangelist said from the early 1900s. He had great evangelical meetings, and they said, how is it that the people are so drawn into what you have to say? And he said, I just stand up there and light myself on fire, and people come to watch me burn. And I'm going to tell you something. If the church of God would let God light us on fire, the world would stand up and take notice. We need to be salt and light. But if it's being hidden, then nobody can see it. And the world is a dark place. And if we're not shining for God, then we're not doing our job. We need some people who would say, you know what? I'm ready for my life to stop being about me and start being about God.
I, I don't want to be that person who's only living to satisfy myself. I want to be that person who, who lives to please the Spirit of God. This is a choice to make. Say choice. Verse 9 says, let us not get tired of doing what is good. At just the right time, we will reap a harvest of blessing if we don't give up. This has been my favorite verse in the Bible uh, for decades. I love Galatians 6, 9. It says, so let's not get tired. Let's not get, it's talking to us. Let us not get tired. Us what is what kind of people? Why would God tell us not to get tired? Because we get tired. I'm going to tell you, you only get tired if you're doing it wrong. Because serving God is energizing. Doing what God called you to do is exciting. See, if, if life is boring to you, if church is boring to you, it, it ain't about the church and it ain't about the preacher. It's about the hookup you've got with God. Because if you've been celebrating God all week long and you came in here, you, you would have been praise on. You would have been ready to get your praise on. You would have been worship ready. You, you would have been overflowing already. But we've got to understand that we get tired. And when we're tired, we're doing something wrong. Say wrong. The Bible says the joy of the Lord is your strength. Now, that's, that's how it should be. That's God's plan for it. But most people's strength is what they can muster up through willpower. See, if the joy of the Lord is powering you, then that never runs out. So you don't get tired. You, you get tired when you're doing things in your own strength and something's disconnected. We need to stay plugged into God. Can somebody say amen? He said, do not get tired of doing what is good. At just the right time, we will reap a harvest of blessing if we don't give up. Now, I've talked about this verse a lot in my lifetime, and I want us to get something from it this morning uh, that hit me. I was up and down all night um, with, with my back in and out of the uh, jacuzzi, uh, just trying to get any kind of relief I could, and I was laying in the tub, and this hit me. I was just talking to God about these things, these verses that I knew he was going to have me to share with you today. And this hit me like, like, like a lightning bolt. And usually when things hit me devastatingly hard like that, they fall flat on y'all. Okay? Uh, but I'm going to give it to you anyway. You're never in any danger of being tired. You can't walk in this scripture you're not even relevant to what God is saying about not getting tired. You can't get tired if you never got started. You can't get tired if you're not doing anything. He said, don't get tired. This intimates effort. This intimates uh, doing enough that would cause you to be weary. Now, in many translations where it says don't get tired, it says don't lose heart. And this isn't talking about uh, a getting tired like it's time to go to sleep. This is talking about the, the, your entire body being weak from exertion. It is the, the ancients referenced it to labor, childbirth. It, it, this whole verse is, is cloaked in language, in Greek language, that is used 
in medical terminology for a woman in the labor process of childbirth. She's been pushing, and she's been pushing. She's been hurting, and she's been hurting. But you know what? She cannot stop or all her effort won't come to fruition. Her, the, her limbs are hurting, but she has to push through until the baby comes. If you don't get anything out of this message, I want you to get this. The life of being who God wants you to be is a life of never giving up, pushing through until the blessing comes. You got to keep pushing, keep pushing. Doesn't matter how tired you get, don't give up. He, he, he said, Let's not get tired of doing what's right. Then he went on to say, or what is good, that intimates that somebody's doing something that's good. What, what, what if we just had to be honest this morning? What, what if we all could just, you know, roll camera? What, what if we had you all like on punk and we've been filming you all week long? And we're just like, well, let's just start with Deacon West over on this screen. Let's just see, uh, you know, the last 72 hours of his life. How much good is really going on? By Christians. How much good? Now, me personally, I believe that the majority of good that's happening in the world is happening by the hands of people who are being used by God to be his hands and feet in the earth. The Bible says that after the church is taken out of the earth, that the restraint is going to be set loose and the world is going to become a much... Listen, if all the Christian people left, the world would be a worse place. If you don't agree with that, you're wrong and I'm right. Uh, but there is good that's going on, but I want you to ask yourself, are you doing enough to get tired? Are you doing, I'm not talking about tired from going to work and taking care of children. We all got that. Um, I read something this week uh, that uh, First Lady Michelle Obama said, she said, children just suck all the air out the land. Yeah, that's a fact. But then she, she went in even deeper than that. She said, that's why they're cute. Because if they weren't cute, we'd leave them all at the post office. <laughs> Take it up with First Lady. That, that, I'm, I'm quoting. I'm not talking about just being tired from life, work, taking care of children, dealing. But I'm talking about is there enough good things that you're doing in your life that you could even feign tiredness, that you could even begin to think of being tired. I want you to know the real Christian, the person who's really living to please God, should easily be able to say this, oh, if it wasn't the Lord being my strength, I'd already fell out. I I wouldn't be able to do one-tenth of what I'm doing if it wasn't God doing it through me. That's real Christianity. We're talking about turning the page. We're talking about resetting 2019. We're talking about making a better second half than a first half. But we got to start doing good in such a capacity that we should anticipate it should cause tiredness because of the maximum volume of good that's being done. But there's a problem when you're doing a lot of good. You can be doing a lot of good and not seeing anything come from it. You ever try to love somebody just just wouldn't, wouldn't receive love? You ever just try to be nice to somebody that just wanted to be ignorant? You ever try to help somebody that was just too dumb to receive help? You ever try to just bless somebody that just, just you, you, you'd rather set the money on fire? I mean, they're, 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 this is the problem with ministry is people. Every preacher has said it, 
is, is evil and wicked and twisted uh, and true uh, in, in a certain degree uh, that ministry would be great if it wasn't for the people. Now, what the preacher means by that is, man, if I could just stay in my office and study and pray all day long and think about how much God loves me, life would be great. But there is no ministry outside of people. Uh, ministry is people. But you ought to be working so hard. You ought to be doing so much you, that it, it should cause other people to expect your tiredness. And you should be able to turn around at that point if it truly is real and say, no, God just gives me the energy to do it. God just strengthens me every time to get it done. And so there's this thing that God talks about in the book of Proverbs where he says, hope deferred makes the heart sick. That's the King James rendering. Uh, that means when you've wanted, believed, and tried for something for a really long time and you don't see it coming, it brings depression. Okay, so this is what the Scripture is talking about. If, if you're living to please God, you're going to be doing lots of good things. Uh, and when you're doing lots of good things, you have to be doing those good things to people. Okay, you get this? Now, if you're doing good things to a pet rock, no issues there. The pet rock's not going to jump up, stab you in the back. The pet rock's not going to lie on you. The, the pet rock's not going to be disgruntled or, or take your goodness for granted. Uh, uh, the pet rock's just going to be the pet rock. But when you're doing lots of good things for people, pain comes. When you're doing lots of good things for people, discouragement creeps in. When you're doing lots of good things for people, you see the ugly side of people. And so you, you, you've got to understand that, there's a promise meant to push you. This promise is meant to push you onward, to push you upward, to push you to the point where you won't give up because you know that at just the right time, your harvest of blessing is going to come and you're not going to miss out. Too many people have missed their harvest of blessing because they quit. They gave up, they fell out, they stopped. Listen, if you, if you want to talk about uh, climbing higher to get closer to God, what sense does it make to climb five rungs of la the ladder of spirituality just to fall off and have to start all over again? If there were 20 rungs, there's not, but if there were 20 rungs on the spiritual ladder of maturity, some of y'all have climbed 75,000 rungs on that ladder. How can you climb 75,000 rungs on a 20-rung ladder? You just keep doing it over and over and over again and never get to the top. I want us to go higher. The only way to get higher is to stop falling off the ladder. The only way to get higher is to stop giving up halfway through your journey. I've had so many people tell me, oh, Pastor, uh, you, you talk about tithing. I tried to tithe and it didn't work. Uh, mm. That can't be true. God said it works. God said it works so well you can prove him how well it works. Uh, but, but people think, it, you know, I, they went to church one time and didn't get goosebumps all the way down to their feet, so they, they just decided it wasn't, it wasn't what floats their boat. Listen, the Bible says that all of God's promises are to those who endure you got to get an enduring spirit about you. You've got to get an enduring spirit in your doing good 
to others. You've got to get an enduring spirit in your Bible study, in your prayer life. You've got to get an enduring spirit in, in your belief for those that you are believing for, for the miracle that you're believing for, for the help, for the hope, for the blessing that you're believing for. And if you will take God at his word, which I suggest you do, you will be able to agree with God that at just the right time, we will reap a harvest of blessing. If we don't give up. That qualifier cancels out your blessing if it's not followed accurately. If you give up, don't expect to receive anything from the Lord. If you're doing good, if you're living your life to please the Spirit of God, and you keep on keeping on, then you are going to get to your blessing. But I want you to know, living to please God, it takes intentional effort. It takes intentional effort. This, this is why... All these books have been written, and people talk about living on purpose. You, you, you have to let purpose drive you. you. You have to stay focused on your purpose. You have to have intentional effort. you got to set a quiet time. you got to set an appointment with God that you keep every day. If you keep playing with your quiet time, sometimes you get up, sometimes you have your devotion in the morning, sometimes you have an afternoon, sometimes you have an evening, you're not going to stick with that. that. That's too weak. That's too soft. That's not intentional enough. You need to prioritize God, set a time where that's your you and God time, and you don't let anybody interfere with that. It takes intentional effort to be the person that is living to please God. Not only does it take intentional effort, but it takes discipline. If you're going to be a disciple, you have to have discipline. That's the root word. Now, people don't like discipline because they see the bad side of discipline. I want you to see the good side of discipline. Discipline is what will lead to your breakthrough. Discipline is what will get you through the time. See, the verse says, at just the right time. The reason why you don't have that blessing yet, because it ain't just the right time. The, what the time is for you to keep doing good. What the time is for you to put forth intentional effort. What the time is, it's your season of discipline and effort putting forth so you can get to just the right time. But it also takes denial of self. This is stuff people hate, man. This is, this is, this is hardcore Christianity 101. This is not doing everything that you want to do so that you can be free to do what God wants you to do. This is, this is prioritizing God above self. You know what Jesus said? Jesus said that if anybody comes to follow me and they won't deny the, themselves, they, they're not worthy to follow me. He said, if you, if you start following me and you even look back like you don't want to be on this trip, you not don't even deserve to be on this trip. It takes self Denial. And one other thing before I move on, it caused a lot of growing pains. It caused a lot of growing pains. Now, I don't know that I ever had any growing pains. I, I, I never had a time in my life where I shot up five inches in one summer. Uh, my youngest son had probably shot up four or five inches uh, in, in the last six months, and his legs hurt a lot, his limbs hurt a lot, and he talks about having growing pains. Listen, I don't know if you've had growing pains in the natural or not, but you ought to be having some in the spirit realm. You ought to be so focused on God. You ought to be doing so much good that uh, God is allowing you to do for his glory. You ought to be so intentional about living on your purpose. You ought to be so focused and, and so disciplined that things are happening and it's stretching you to where you feel like you need to pray more. That's growing pains. To, to where you got to figure out 
where you can give some of this blessing that God is pouring into your life. That's growing pains. I want everybody to get to the place in their life spiritually where they have growing pains. But I want to take you back to what God splashed on me so hard last night. You can't get tired of doing what's good unless you get started. So I want you to get started. I want you to take massive action in some area now. I want you to decide that you are going to not waste the back half of 2019, that you are going to be an all-in, all-out, God-glorifying, true Christian. Realizing, put that verse back on the screen, verse 9, realizing that God promises blessing. Say blessing. God promises blessing. The problem is most people don't get to it because when it doesn't come on their schedule, they stop serving God. When it doesn't come on their schedule, they stop walking in faith for their blessing. When it doesn't come fast enough, God said at just the right time. God knows when the right time is. The reason why your harvest of blessing hadn't come in is either because you gave up, because you didn't do enough good, or because it just ain't your right time yet. Continuing in the effort without seeing the results is tough. Think about it. Um, Boy, I hate to pick on them. I love them so much, but I'll do it anyway. Uh, My sister and brother-in-law have been um, affectionately dubbed by their children as what? The diet dropouts. You want to you wanna learn about a diet? Ask them. They've been on it. They, 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 they've been on it. Um, and, and here's the thing, though. Here, here's the thing. They can tell you, and this is, this is true almost across the board. We, we've had seen some exceptions even in our own church. But typically, it's easier for the man to lose weight than the woman because he's got more muscle mass and he burns, it at a high, burns calories at a higher rate. So the man and the woman go on a diet. He liable to lose four pounds in the first week. And she's liable to gain a half a pound. Yeah. Now, do you think that motivates her to keep on this horrible diet that is starving me to death? No, because to continue with something while not seeing the results from it, this is why most people join a gym in January and quit in February. Now, trust me, I'm not doing that. I'm not joining a gym because I've learned my lesson. Uh, I, I'm, not, I'm not that guy, I, but I, I do know this because I've done it enough in my life and then quit and done it and quit. And done. If I was to just decide, if I decided, if, if, I, if I told Deacon Dixon, look, I'm going to start coming over, we're going to work out together five days a week. If I went and, and I just did arms one day in a gym somewhere, do you know what my arms would feel like the next day? I wouldn't be able to brush my teeth. My whole, my, my hand would be sh- <laughs> And then the day after that, oh, Lord, have mercy. And then I would, I would say, no, I can't do this. I can't put my, hey, uh, f- oh, fat and flabby don't hurt. All that trying to make muscle, that, that, that hurt. And so people go to a gym, they start a diet, and they don't see the results, so they quit. Because it's hard to keep going when you don't see the results. But that's just short-sightedness. That's just lack of faith and vision. That's not understanding that it, 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 it takes time for anything to grow. 
It takes time for seasons to move. And if you're not in your harvest season, then you're in your work hard season. If you're not in your harvest season, you're in your don't quit season. If you're not in your harvest season, you're in your find some other way to get more good coming out of you season. And you just got to rely on God because here's the thing. The reason why most people fall out of church, they weren't relying on God to begin with. They heard something that they thought that, I'm going to try that. I'm going to get up. I'm, I'm going to get up an extra 30 minutes. Uh, I, I, Elder Jimmy shared with me one time how he, he was able to get more Bible study in during, during the season of his life where he just decided he, he wanted another hour to study and pray. And you just can't invent an hour. Mostly, but he found a way to invent an hour. He got up 30 minutes earlier and spent that time with the Lord, went to bed 30 minutes later and spent that time with the Lord. You're going to have to find a way to press in more. But it's hard when you're not seeing results. And results take time. Okay? Now, a lot of people hear something like that. Oh, I'm going to try that. Oh, get up an extra 30 minutes. I think I, I, I do like sleeping. But the Bible says if you love sleep, you'll be broke forever. So I don't want to be broke forever. So I'm going to stop loving sleeping. I'm going to get up a little bit early and spend some time. with. And people think that sounds cool, catchy, trendy, that it probably would lead to something great for them. And so they try it in their own strength and willpower. Your own strength and willpower will not last. It will fail you every time. You have got to be energized by God. That's why when you come to church, you need to connect with God because if all you're doing is connecting with people, songs, messages, and teaching, then you're going to fall out like everybody else. you got to connect with God when you go into your prayer closet. you got to know that you're talking to the only real God that there is, and he's listening. you got to connect with God when you read this book and understand this book is better than every other book because it's alive and it's powerful. you got to connect with God or you're going to give up. Because you're going to have to do these things, hear me well, for a long time before you get a blessing. You're not going to walk into a gym on day one and come out looking like the best bodybuilder in America on day 30. It doesn't happen like that. Rome wasn't built in a day. Things take time. But if you're not seeing the results of your effort then you have to be able to do something. And what can we do when we can't see it? We can believe it by faith. When, when, when you can't figure it out, you can faith it out. When it looks like it's not working, we can not trust our sight, but we can rely on our faith to know God said at just the right time. And I am not, listen, don't miss the right time. Don't, don't stand in line all day long waiting for them to call your number. And then you decide, oh, well, this is the same. And you walk out the door. You know, as soon as you walk out the door, 213? <laughs> Go to the DMV on Park Avenue in Orange Park. They got like 60 booths up in that place. And they got different levels of numbers and windows. And you go in there and you see E141. Now serving E-139. Oh, I got two people in front of me. And then they call like A-17. You're like, well, at least I'm in the E's. Then they'd be like, M-41. <laughs> They're not following a pattern here. And you could be in there forever waiting on your little E-141. And But if you, and I've seen it, man. I've sat in there. 
and, and it finally called somebody's number, and they were like, he just stepped out. Let me see if I can go catch him. Do not step out in your season of work. Do not step out in your season of intention. Do not step out in your season of preparation as God is preparing a harvest. Because if you give up, you lose it all. Verse 10, last verse, and I'm done, says, Therefore, whenever we have the opportunity, we should do good to everyone, especially those in the family of faith. I want us to notice our opportunities. It says, whenever we have the opportunity, you can stay blind to the opportunity and act like it doesn't exist. But if you will open your eyes for opportunities, you'll find opportunities everywhere to do good things. If you'll just open your eyes to opportunity, listen, uh, you, you don't even have to always do something in the natural. You can see an opportunity and pray for that opportunity. Anybody believe that's a good thing? You, you can call that person's name before the Lord, but you need to find the opportunity. I'm about to close this thing, and when we leave here today, I want you to be an opportunity finder. I want you to be looking for an opportunity to do good to who? Everyone. Stop with this whack, ungodly, selfish, worldly, Christ-rejecting, divisional concept of us and them. Get that out of your mind. Get that out of your mind. Us and them should never be based on race. It should never be based on politics. It should never be based on any of those things. And even if it were, which it isn't, God says we got to do good to everyone. Well, they don't deserve it. Well, neither do we. If you haven't figured that out yet, you're probably still unsafe. If you don't know that you don't deserve God's grace and goodness, you probably don't really understand true Christianity. But stop waiting on people to deserve your goodness. Stop waiting on somebody to, to give you something, to cause you to do something, and just find the opportunity to be a blessing. And it closes by saying, especially to those in the family of faith. We got to do good to everybody. But there's a higher call. Say higher call. There's a higher call. It says, when it comes to your brothers and sisters in Christ, you got to really look out for them. I, I, I hope I live long enough to see it. I, I, see it. I see it in spurts. I see it sprinkled out. But, man, every, everybody knows. If you were that family, you know you were that family. If you weren't that family, hopefully you met that family. But, you know, if it was the Jones family with seven kids, they fought each other all the time, but couldn't nobody fight any one of them. They'd talk, they'd talk about each other all day long, but nobody could talk about them to them because that's family. And here's the thing. You, you, you can work through some things with family, but you've got to understand, at the end of the day, in the middle of the day, in the beginning of the day, it's still family, and you've got to do good to your family. You've got to look out for your brothers and sisters in Christ. Some of y'all used to be more connected than you are now. You need to hit reset. Some of y'all used, used to be doing more good things than you are now. You need to hit reset. Some of y'all used to be growing in your faith more, closing in on your harvest of blessing, planting good seeds. But that harvest didn't come just the way you wanted it to, just the time you wanted it to, so you gave up. We got to do good to everyone. The great preacher, hymn writer, psalmist, John Wesley said this. Do all the goods you can, by all the means you can, 
in all the ways you can, in all the places you can, at all the times you can, to all the people you can, as long as ever you can. Words to live by. When we get to that last day in this life, nobody's ever going to say they wish they'd have made more money. They wish they'd have picked up an extra overtime shift. They're going to wish they'd done more of the right things with the time that they had. Time is fleeting, y'all. The hour is approaching that this, that this world is coming to an end. We only have the amount of time that we have left, but we need to get on with it. So I sound an alarm to you today. It says do all the good you can. Get on with it. Let's make our Father look glorious. We're not going to be able to eradicate hundreds of years of problems. We're not going to be able to eradicate thousands of years of problems. We're not going to be able to eradicate millions of hypocrites that have shined falsely and poorly on our great God. But we can start right where we are, find the opportunities we can find, and we can do good. I want to read. I'm going to read it. It's, I printed it out. In Galatians 6, 9, where it tells us not to be weary in doing right, because just the right time your harvest will come in. That's, that's been a passage of comfort to people who have worked hard for God and haven't seen things coming. And I believe there are people in this room that have spent time working for God and believing things for God that haven't come yet. And I wish I could wave a magic wand. I wish I could sprinkle magic dust on you and pray for you and make all your dreams come true and make your blessing come in. But that's just not how it works. God said it comes at just the right time. Not almost the right time, but just the right time. I don't know when your blessing is going to come. Some of you have been praying for children. Some of you have been praying for spouses. Some of you have been praying for family members. Some of you have been praying for physical needs, spiritual needs, emotional needs, uh, financial needs. I don't know when your harvest of blessing is going to come, but I know that you can cancel it if you quit. I know that you can hinder it if you don't do all the good that you can. So if you've been serving God and you've been believing, I, my, my encouragement to you is keep on. Keep on serving God. He is faithful. He said he would never forget your labor of love. He's faithful. He sees everything that we do. There was a missionary in the 1900s named Henry Morrison. I'm going to read it word for word. This is an oft-told story about his life. A song's been written about this event in his life. And it's a factual account of what this man and his wife really went through. It says the Morrison couple had been working in Africa for years as missionaries, and they were returning to New York City to retire. They had no pension. Their health was broken. They felt defeated, discouraged, and afraid. They discovered they were booked on the same ship as President Teddy Roosevelt, who was returning from one of his big game hunting expeditions in Africa. No one paid much attention to the missionary couple. They watched the fanfare that accompanied the president's entourage with passengers trying to catch a glimpse of the president everywhere he went. As the ship moved across the ocean, the old missionary said to his wife, something is wrong. 
Why should we have given our lives in faithful service to God in Africa all these many years and have no one care a single thing about us? Here this man comes back from a short hunting trip and everyone makes much over him. But nobody gives two hoots about us. His wife said, dear, you shouldn't feel that way. I can't help it. He said, it doesn't seem right. It doesn't feel right. When the ship docked in New York, a band was waiting to greet the president. The mayor and other dignitaries were there. The newspapers were full of the president's arrival, but no one mentioned this missionary couple. They slipped off the ship and found a cheap apartment on the east side, hoping the next day to see what work they could do to try to make a living in that city. But that night, the man's spirit broke. He said to his wife, I can't take this anymore. God is not treating us fairly. And his wife replied, why don't you go into the bedroom and tell that to the Lord? A short time later, he came out from the bedroom. But now his face was completely different. His wife asked, dear, what happened? Henry said, the Lord settled it with me. I told him how bitter I was that the president should receive this tremendous homecoming when no one met us as we returned home. And when I finished, it seemed as though the Lord put his hand on my shoulder and simply said these words, you're not home yet. There'll be ways that you press for God that cause you great agony. There'll be ways that you put yourself last and put others first that will cause you emotional pain. There'll be ways that you put God first in your life that'll cause you to put those that you love behind that and it'll hurt you in your heart. And there may be even days when you wonder, like this great missionary man did, have we done all this? nobody cares no parade no greeters no crowds no bands but as he said the Lord told him you're not home yet so I want to speak to every true child of God in the room today don't let lack of seeing what you hope to see in this life dissuade you from doing what's good don't let lack of seeing the results of your prayer stop you from praying. Don't let lack of seeing your harvest of blessing stop you from serving the Lord. Don't, don't, don't get caught up when, wondering when it's going to be your time and when life is going to turn around for you. Because we all have a time that is just the right time. And if we don't see it in this life, imagine the parade that greeted Henry Morrison and his wife. Estimated to have led over a million Africans to Christ in 40 years of missionary ministry. Imagine a million people in heaven waiting to see their missionary friends from America come that told them about Jesus. That's a parade worth waiting on. 
Imagine getting to heaven and standing before this very Jesus that we talk about. And he smiles at you and tells you, welcome home. I have a place for you. That's a greeting worth having. It's a greeting worth pressing forward in. It's a greeting that should cause us to not get weary in well-doing. So I want you to leave this place. I was going to drag everybody down the altar. Sometimes it's for that and sometimes it's not. I don't want emotionally driven decisions made today. But I hope that someone will say, I hear you, Lord. I hear you. And I am going to do better. I hear you, Lord. And I am going to start doing more good with the life that you've given me. I hear you, Lord. And I'm going to make every day count. I'm not going to live to please myself. I'm going to live to please you. I hope somebody hears the voice of the Lord today and would respond even as the proper response has been laid out for us many times in Scripture when God was calling few would answer but some said here am I send me I hope you'll be a here am I send me I hope you'll be a here I am God I'll do it if nobody else will do it I'll keep believing when everybody else stops believing. I'll keep giving when everybody else quits giving. I hope that you will have an enduring spirit because all the promises to God are to those who endure. Pray with me. God, thank you for enduring for us. You never gave up. You never quit. You didn't take yourself off the cross at Calvary when you could have. You suffered for us and you bled for us and you died for us to pay for our sins so that justice could be delivered. Thank you for being our justifier. Thank you for making a way for us to have access to God. God, I pray that you would unite us in love for each other. You said in your word that you created us for good deeds. Lord, I pray that we'd leave this place today determined to not give up, but to take massive action in doing good, in glorifying you, in spending time alone with you, in praising you, in worshiping you. Take our lives, God, and let them be consecrated to you. Take our lives, God, and let them be useful in your hand. God, I pray that you would take every area of this church and squeeze every drop of goodness out of this place that there is in your name. God, I pray that you would elevate your name, glorify yourself in us, through us, and by us. God, I pray that this church would be a place of refuge for hurting people. I pray that it'd be a place where people could come and know you and grow in your love. covenant with you to not quit thank you for knowing the right time for our blessing we yield time to you God we yield to your schedule to your word to your will to your way God I pray for any person in the room today who's unsaved Lord I pray that you would let them know that they need 
your salvation and that you would draw them by your spirit and that you would save them for eternity's sake. Thank you for your love. Thank you for your goodness. Help us, God, to endure. Help us to have faith when we don't see the answer. Help us to continue to intentionally live for your glory. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the AOCF Sound Doctrine Podcast. And visit us on the web at AOCFnow.org. Your financial support for this ministry allows us to share the gospel around the world. Your support is greatly appreciated. If you would like to give a donation, please go to AOCFnow.org. Abundant Life Christian Fellowship Church. Loving God, loving people.